Today on the Matt Wall Show, the left is now pushing hard for reparations for slavery. We'll talk about all the reasons why that's a terrible idea. Also, five headlines, including Tucker Carlson's urgent and important warning to the president. And in our daily cancellation, I will be canceling, preemptively canceling, the song Imagine before it becomes our new national anthem. God help us all. That's what they're talking about doing next. And we'll get to all of that coming up. But before we do, today's show brought to you by Ancestry DNA. You know, it's, uh, it's just fascinating and I think fulfilling in a lot of very deep ways to learn about your ancestry. That's how it was for me. You know, going through the Ancestry.com experience was uh, a lot of fun, very easy. And to discover my own ancestry laid out before me was just completely fascinating. Yeah, you may be familiar with the major events and battles of World War II, but there are so many more stories to uncover. Uh, the skill and bravery of the Tuskegee Airmen, an all-African-American squad of fighter pilots, the incredible women who trained to become pilots and mechanics, the Japanese-American Battalion uh, became one of America's most decorated units. In honor of the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, Ancestry has just released a U.S. draft card collection from World War II. Over 36 million draft cards completed by fighting age men in the United States across the country during that time. And you get a chance to take a look and you can uncover your ancestors' personal details in, uh, in Ancestry's uh, World War II U.S. draft card collection, which shows details like home address, physical description, much, much more. Uh, you could find the veterans in your family who rose to the occasion where the world needed them most and, uh, you know, gives you pride, even though it was a long time ago. These are your ancestors, and there's a lot of pride in that. Discover your untold stories and more. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Matt to start discovering your story today. That's Ancestry.com slash Matt. All right, well, an idea that was once on the fringe of the fringe of the fringe is now surging into the mainstream, and make no mistake, if Democrats uh, are to take over on election day, which might well happen, this will be enacted without a doubt. They will do it. Unlike Republicans, Democrats, they actually set out to accomplish uh, their goals, and the promises they make to their voters, they they actually try to make them happen, um, even if the promises are horrific. The idea is reparations, paying black Americans for slavery, uh, paying them back for the injustices perpetrated, injustices perpetrated against their ancestors. This idea was discussed during the Democrat primaries, you may remember, and every candidate, to my memory, came out in support of it. Now it's back in the news again, back in the discussion again. The New York Times Magazine ran a lengthy piece titled, What is Owed? Makes the case for reparations. Um, and it's been discussed in the mainstream media regularly. There was a segment on, on MSNBC this morning. Here's a segment on, M on NBC, um, actually their streaming service, I believe, referring to the Times piece, explaining why reparations should happen. Centuries of systemic racism have created a wealth gap in America between black and white Americans. In her latest New York Times piece, Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Nicole Hannah-Jones writes, if true justice and equality are ever to be achieved in the United States, the country must finally take seriously what it owes black Americans. MSNBC correspondent Tremaine Lee interviewed Nicole Hannah-Jones in his latest Into America podcast on reparations. Tremaine joins me now. And Tremaine, what are the factors that that Nicole talked about here that are contributing or have contributed to the racial wealth gap in our country. 
Hey, Allison, more than just a contribution, the actual source, the root of the wealth gap uh, goes back to shortly after emancipation, uh, when the entire, uh, you know, enslaved population, formerly enslaved population, uh, really were pushed out with absolutely nothing, starting from ground zero. And even though the government had promised some uh, restitution in 40 acres and a mule, uh, those promises fell through. And in fact, the, the former um, you know, uh, plantation owners were given back that land that had been promised to enslaved people. But then after that, uh, decades and decades of Jim Crow laws, um, lack of access to, to jobs, uh, depressed housing um, values, on and on up from after emancipation through Reconstruction, Redemption, into the 50s and 60s. All of these contributing factors, um, including the actual uh, violent dispossession of wealth, the actual bombing of Black Wall Street, the actual uh, burning and looting of Black communities all across the country, and that land and that wealth and resources were never returned. Okay, now here's a professor at Duke um, explaining on the outlet AJ+, whatever that is, that reparations is the way to close the racial wealth gap. The racial wealth gap is, as you know, is staggering. Uh, blacks are about 13% of the U.S. population, but only have 2.6% of the nation's wealth. And that translates into an average household differential between blacks and whites in net worth of about $800,000 in 2016 dollars. That's the gap that needs to be uh, that needs to be closed by a reparations program. But how would this all be funded? Well, the professor has an answer for that too. In the book that I've just completed with uh, Kirsten Mullen, From Here to Equality, Reparations for Black Americans in the 21st Century, we argue that the payments might be made in the form of endowments or a trust account, where individuals would be allowed to spend the interest off the account in any given year but could only dip into the principles subject to approval for a plan of action or a proposal that they develop. In the present moment, you know, the federal government overnight essentially came up with, well, some people say it's $2.2 trillion. Some people say it's as much as $6 trillion because of the loans that were made by the Federal Reserve Board. But it came up with that money overnight. There were no new taxes administered. Now, I think that the present experience or the current experience demonstrates that the federal government can spend on virtually anything it wants to spend on. So his plan is apparently to just come up with the money. That, that's his plan. Just, you know. Come up with the money. All right, then. An article on CNN published a while ago says, a little while ago, back back during the primaries, gets slightly more specific. It says, generally, advocates for reparations say that three different groups should pay for them. Government, private companies, and rich families that owe a good portion of their wealth to slavery. It then goes on to explain that, at least for the rich families, you'd probably have to extract that money through litigation rather than legislation so between rich families, companies, and governments, which are funded by everyone, this basically means that everyone will have to pay at some level, in some form, for reparations. And of course, I say that with Democrats in power, this is going to happen, which it will. But really, even with Republicans, it will happen too, eventually. We're not far away from this becoming um, an idea that Republicans are even presenting. Now, they'll present it in a, in, a, in a slightly more moderated way. They'll have a reformed idea of reparations, but they're going to start proposing this too, because we know the trajectory. This is the trajectory with, with everything. An idea is on the fringes of the left wing, then it becomes mainstream, 
Then a few years later, it becomes mainstream among Republican circles. Republicans are on the same track and train as the Democrats. They're just a few cars back. So, which is why when you look at so many of the positions taken by Republicans today, those are the same positions that um, Democrats took, you know, back in the 90s. So this may be inevitable. But even so, it's worth discussing what are the problems with this idea. There are many problems. Let's discuss a few of them. First of all, this may be the most crucial point. The idea that the racial wealth gap is the main driver um, or that slavery is the main driver of the racial wealth gap, that's something that needs to be addressed. Because the racial wealth gap is itself probably the main driver of the push for reparations. Uh, It's argued that collectively black Americans are poorer than white Americans, and it's further argued that this is due to slavery and segregation. Now, the first part of that argument is true. That's just a statistical reality, no getting around it. What about blaming it on slavery and and, uh, racism, though? There's no doubt that history has an impact on everything in the present, including economics and wealth distribution. So no serious person would say that slavery has no effect on what's happening today. Everything in history has some effect. Um... But there are things happening today also that are going to have a much, much greater impact on the wealth impact, on the wealth gap, I should say. And I'll give you just one, the fatherless rate. Black fatherlessness is about 70%. That is 70% of black children today grow up in a household with a single parent. Their parents are not married and their dad doesn't live with them. Studies have repeatedly and decisively shown that fatherlessness is a major contributor to poverty, the dropout rate, the incarceration rate, crime, drug abuse, suicide, and so on. Pretty much every social ill you can name uh, is tied to fatherlessness in some way. Fatherlessness is going to be a, a significant contributing factor to it. So the point is that Even if you make some sort of payment to black Americans, no matter how large that payment is, it's not going to fix fatherlessness. And so it's not going to fix anything, really, economically or socially or in any other way. Until we've addressed things like this, um, this, there's, there's not a lot of progress that can be made, especially by just giving money to people. Second point. Um, In fact, before we get to the second point, We'll do that in just a second. But first, I want to tell you about our friends at Policy Genius. You know, life insurance um, makes a lot of sense because the only thing you have to know with life insurance is that you're not you're not immortal. You're not going to be here forever. You're going to die one day. I, I, I hate to tell you. That's that's the bad news. And with everything going on right now, um, a lot of people are asking if it's even possible to buy life insurance at all. And the answer is yes. The answer number one is yes, you need it. And number two. Yes, you can buy it. You can buy life insurance during a pandemic. Uh, you can you can certainly buy life insurance if you have loved ones. Depending on your income, you probably should. As an insurance marketplace, Policy Genius is in contact with the life insurance companies on their platform every day. They're keeping track of all the changes in the market, so you don't have to. Which means they can get you covered quickly and for the best price. Here's how it works: Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. This doesn't take. Um, you know, a lot of work on your part. It saves you a lot of legwork. Policy Genius is doing almost all the work for you. 
And you could save $1,500 or more a year by using Life Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. So you're saving money, you're saving time, you're saving the frustration. Uh, it's just, there's no reason not to do it. Getting life insurance, I think, is a moral obligation of all people. You know, when you have a family to make sure they're taken care of. And if you're going to do it, Policy Genius is the way to go. So if you're one of the many people looking to buy life insurance right now, but you're not sure where to start, well, head to PolicyGenius.com. Policy Genius will find the best rate, handle the process completely. They'll get you and your family protected and hopefully give you one less thing to worry about, which is something we could all use now. Okay, second point on reparations. The reparations concept really demonstrates just how simplistic and binary and literally black and white our thinking has become. Black people were enslaved. White people were slave owners. Therefore, white people should pay black people. That's, that's the thought process. Even leaving aside how long ago this was and the fact that, as already explained, other social factors are doing much more today to hold the black community back, leaving those things aside, this assumes that every black person is a descendant of, of American slaves and every white person is a descendant of slave owners in America. It also assumes that if historical injustice should mean present-day reparations, only black people have suffered injustice that needs to be repaired. All of that is wrong. A great many black Americans today, millions, came here um, or are, 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 are descendants of people who came here after, often well after the end of slavery and even after the end of segregation. Um, you know, let's say a black person whose parents came to this country in 1975. Would they get reparations? Meanwhile, most white people and their lineage never had anything to do with slavery in America. And that was true even when slavery was ongoing. In 1860, a small minority of Americans countrywide owned slaves. Depending on where you look, you know, it was something like 5 to 10%. Um, it, certainly minority countrywide, even in the South, uh, a minority. So if we were doing reparations you know, right after slavery was abolished, which if it was going to happen, that was when it should have happened. But, but even then, um, you would have been talking about a minority of Americans who should have paid because they were the ones who owned slaves. And they, they were the ones who immediately benefited from slave labor. Now, tack 150 years onto it and, and take into account all the many millions of Americans who came to this country sometime in the intervening period, it would make no sense whatsoever for a person whose ancestors came here from Poland or Italy or whatever a few decades ago to be forced to pay for crimes that were committed a century and a half ago, thousands of miles from where that person's ancestors actually lived. And the only reason they're being told to pay it is because of the, the pigment of their skin. This is unjust. It, it's, not, it's not paying for the crimes of your ancestors, which already is unjust, I would argue. But this time you're paying for the crimes of other people's ancestors that you had nothing to do with and your ancestors had nothing to do with. Moreover, more, moreover, we aren't taking into account the persecution and oppression faced by many other groups of people. Um, should a Jewish person whose grandparents fled the Holocaust in 1940 and came here and faced anti-Semitism, should they have to pay for the persecution carried out by other people against other people? Why? And if we want to talk about the legacy of an atrocity and how it negatively affects people today, could not that Jewish person argue that they would be in a much better spot today if not for the fact that half of their lineage was wiped out in a concentration camp? I think they could argue that. 
What about an Irish person whose family escaped the potato famine, which killed a million people in about four or five years? Came to America, faced segregation, discrimination, ethnocentrism, all targeted against them. Signs hanging in businesses saying, no dogs, no Irish, or Irish need not apply. This is a person who also, if not for those forms of historical oppression, may be in a better place today. And yet they would be made to pay. But doesn't society owe them too? On the reparations theory, doesn't society also owe them something? Now, maybe you would say doesn't owe them as much as it owes black people, but it owes them something, doesn't it? So shouldn't we be talking about reparations on a spectrum where everyone who is an ancestor of a, of a persecuted minority is, is given something? You see, that's, that's the other problem. Once you go down this road, there's no limiting principle. Pay reparations to black people, then it's hard to argue at that point that you don't pay to Native Americans. In fact, I would, I would assume most of the people who support reparations for black Americans would, would probably say, yes, let's give it to Native Americans too. Um, so, okay, well, then you got those groups. What about Asian Americans who were sent to internment camps? Or other groups of Americans who, who face segregation and discrimination? And on and on you go. Now, again, you could argue that, that some of those groups are owed less than others. However you measure this, which it seems impossible to measure and quantify, but however you do it, you, you could find a way of, of staggering it and, and, uh, and as, as I said, put it on a spectrum. But the principle that justifies payment of some kind to one group also justifies payment of some kind to others. And then you get to a point very quickly where almost everyone in America is owed reparations for something. And the whole idea breaks down. So it just, it, it's a, it's a, a concept that makes no sense. It would only increase injustice. It certainly wouldn't remedy it. And that's why it's an idea that we need to, f- to meet forcefully. But I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen, what's happening right now is that a lot of people on the right aren't even bothering to argue the point because they figure they're making the same mistake they always make with everything. Thinking that this is a fringe thing, it's not going to happen, no one, you know, no one really takes it seriously, we're not really going to do this. No, it's not fringe. They really want to do it, and they will do it, especially if we don't say anything about it. Let's move on to... News headlines. Speaking of things that need to be said, uh, number one, Tucker Carlson, who I think is one of the most important voices in America right now, had an excellent monologue last night, and his message needs to be heard loud and clear, particularly by one person who, who hopefully was watching. It would change the course of this country's future if the Justice Department rounded up the leaders of Antifa tomorrow, along with every single person caught on camera torching a building, destroying a monument, defacing a church, and put them all in shackles. And then frog-marched them in front of cameras like MS-13 and called them what they actually are, domestic terrorists. Not protesters, not civil rights activists, not CNN contributors, but domestic terrorists. That would be their new government-approved title. Once they're charged, it's official, in fact. They are literally, as a factual matter, accused terrorists. And that would change minds right away. Most people don't like terrorists. Terrorists will never be popular, even among Democratic voters. So charge them for the crimes they've committed and call them what they are. Right now, the opposite is happening. 
the terrorists are more popular than the president of the United States. And not just more popular than Donald Trump personally, but more popular than the system he represents and administers. And it's obvious why. Our system is weak. It refuses to defend itself. Mayors let new countries sprout in the middle of their cities. Our leaders act like laws are irrelevant. Everyone watches this happen. It's a potentially fatal problem. Weak institutions die. Citizens develop contempt for them, and then they get overthrown. The same is true, by the way, for heads of state. When you refuse to fight for the system you run, you're done. Spend an hour on Google and see if you can find a single leader in the history of the world who stayed in power after failing to quell a rebellion. You can't. By the way, that clip was shared by a Media Matters person calling it maybe the most deranged rant I've heard on Fox News. Meanwhile, they, 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 he said that was deranged. Meanwhile, all normal people think it's one of the sanest things we've ever heard, or at least recently heard. Tucker is exactly right. And if anyone needs to hear him loud and clear, it's primarily the president. Now, I know some of you don't like it when I criticize him. I know that. That's fine. You don't have to like it. But I'm telling you the fact of the matter. Tucker's saying the fact of the matter, like it or not. Trump is losing right now. I'm not just talking about the polls. The polls are one indicator. But it's not just about that. I don't, need, I don't even need to see the polls. I don't care what the polls say. Trump is losing right now. Make all the lame excuses you want. But if Trump continues tweeting while America burns, he will lose. More than that, he will deserve to lose. It's better for his supporters, I think, to face this fact now, put some pressure on him, than to whisper sweet nothings in his ear, telling him that, that the law and order tweets are, are great and totally sufficient. Everyone loves it. He's doing great. Nothing is wrong. They aren't sufficient. Everyone doesn't love it and shouldn't. Okay, the tweeting in general. I think most people, now I get it. Again, you're, if you're a diehard you know, fan, then, uh, then you're always going to love the tweets. But most people are not diehard fans and never were. Trump won 2016 with 70,000 votes. That gave him the uh, the electoral college victory while losing the popular vote by two million votes. This is a he, he won by a hair's breadth. So I mean, the, the, his his supporters have been lying to him, and he's been lying to himself since day one, saying that it was some sort of landslide victory. Not even close. Um, this needs to be communicated to Trump in a hurry, because right now it's like the guy isn't even trying. He did a town hall on Fox last night. I don't know if you watched this thing. And he was asked uh, what his plan is for a second term. Now, he's asked by Sean Hannity. You couldn't ask for a friendlier interv interviewer. And you couldn't ask for an easier question. What's your plan for the second term? You, you got to have an answer to that. That's, that's your president. You're an incumbent president running for a second term. Somebody asks you, what's your plan for a second term? You should be boom, 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 have answers. This is what Trump said. Let's talk about a second term. If you hear in 131 days from now, at some point in the night or early morning, we can now project Donald J. Trump has been reelected the 45th president of the United States. Let's talk. How do, what's at stake in this election as you compare and contrast? And what is what are your top priority items for a second term? Well, one of the things that will be really great, you know, the word experience is still good. I always say talent is more important than experience. I've always said that. But the word experience is a very important word. It's in a very important meaning. I never did this before. I never slept over in Washington. I was in Washington, I think, 17 times. All of a sudden, I'm president of the United States. You know the story of riding down Pennsylvania Avenue with our first lady. And I say, 
This is great. But I didn't know very many people in Washington. It wasn't my thing. I was from Manhattan, from New York. Now I know everybody. And I have great people in the administration. You make some mistakes, like, you know, an idiot like Bolton. All he wanted to do is drop bombs on everybody. You don't have to drop bombs on everybody. You don't have to kill people. That's just nonsense. That, that's that's. And I don't want to hear, oh, it's Trump being Trump. I don't give a damn if it's Trump being Trump. Trump needs to stop being Trump. That's babbling, ridiculous nonsense. You were asked a question. What's your plan? People actually want to hear it. It's a good question. That was not an answer. If the guy can't even tell us what's he wants, what he wants to do in a second term, why should anyone vote for him? He literally can't give you a reason to vote for him other than Joe Biden, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to be enough. It was enough against Hillary. Okay, To beat Hillary, all you had to do was say, look at Hillary, 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 Hillary. I think this time around when you're in the incumbent and you have a record, for better or worse, you need to actually present a positive reason to vote for you. For you. What is good about you? Now, this excuse that people are providing for Trump, that his, that his supporters are providing, Trump is doing nothing as anarchists uh, destroy the country. The excuse is, well, we'll let the, let the leftist cities destroy themselves. No. Yeah, you, that, that might seem like the sort of tough uh, approach. It's not tough. It's weak and cowardly. It's the weakest BS I've ever heard. What you're saying is, let's give the criminals and anarchists everything they want. That'll show them. So what you're doing, if you let them destroy themselves, no, it's not them destroying themselves. It's allowing criminals and anarchists to do what they want while innocent Americans in those cities suffer. Trump is the president of those people. And it's not, and, and you, and if your next, if your next move is to blame them for living in the city to begin with, that's not going to be a winning message. Wow, they deserve it. They, they made a choice to live in a city because that's where they found a job. You, you might be able to soothe yourself with that message. That is not a winning message. Trump is the president of, of those people. He's, he's their president too. You're not punishing the anarchists by letting them do what they want. Is, is this what people do with their kids? I, I guess, yeah, this explains a lot, really. This, this is how a lot of parents act with their kids. I'll, I'll show them by letting them stay up all night playing PlayStation. They'll learn their lesson eventually. Yeah, maybe, maybe 30 years from now when they look back at their wasted childhood, that's when they'll learn their lesson. That's not good enough. No, they need to learn their lesson now. You're the parent. Do it. Now, I certainly hate to compare a politician to a parent because that's not the relationship a politician is supposed to have with the public. But still, these people are acting like children and worse. That's an insult to children. They're acting like worse than children. And they do need to be punished. Law and order, not just a tweet. He's floundering. It's pathetic. He's going to lose. That's the reality. If he doesn't do something now. Number two, they're coming for Mount Rushmore uh, now. A report from the Daily Wire says, on Thursday, USA Today quoted that a tribal leader of the Sioux Nation saying that uh, although Mount Rushmore should not be blown up, it should be removed. How do you remove a mountain? I don't know. Um, Oglala Sioux President Julian Bearrunner, who expresses his disapproval of President Trump's visit next week to the Black Hills of South Dakota, stated of Mount Rushmore, I don't believe it should be blown up because it would cause more damage to the land, uh, but he agrees that it should be removed. 
And then there's a lot of stuff about how this is a symbol of uh, Nick Tilson of the Oglala Lakota tribe uh, said Mount, Rush, Mount Rushmore is a symbol of white supremacy of structural racism that's still alive and well in society today. Uh, and on and on and on. And they'll do it. They'll do it too. They'll do anything they want. Okay? The people that are seeking to tear down the monu- monuments and tear down Western civilization and all of its icons and heroes, they're just getting whatever they want. And that how, that's how we're, again, that, that's how we're, we're punishing them, by just letting them do it. Great strategy. Wonderful. Number three, here's something to think about uh, next time you're at the beach. Look at this drone footage of a great white shark, gigantic beast, swimming right under unsuspecting surfers. Good God almighty. Now, you know, I like the beach. I love the water. But it is kind of a weird thing we do, isn't it? I always think if aliens were to come to this country, they would be, that'd be one of the many things they're very surprised and, and confused by. They, they would say, why are these humans gathered around and for no constructive reason swimming and paddling in this giant salty death trap where man-eating monsters are lurking in the depths? And a lot of them aren't even doing anything. And if you go to a beach, they're just standing in it, letting the, the, the ferocious waves pummel them in the face while they get sand up their shorts. And they do that for an hour and a half, and then they go home. What was the point of this ritual? That's what the aliens would be asking, I imagine. Of course, I'm also assuming that aliens don't know what an ocean is. I mean, if they didn't have an ocean on their home planet, then there would be no civilization to begin with. So, you know, there are problems with my hypothetical. But anyway, number four. After 30 years, the Dixie Chicks are changing their name. Uh, They will now be the Chicks, not the Dixie Chicks. Why is the word Dixie offensive? This is... is, uh, Very interesting in a lot of ways. And it shows, among other things, what I'm always talking about, how feminists are constantly having to take a back seat. On the the modern left, feminists are very close to the bottom of the totem pole. They're they're almost, at this point, they're treated almost like white men to be a feminist. You're you're not that much, you're not that that much higher, you know, on the hierarchy than white men are as feminists. Uh, because all of their interests are thrown to the side. And you see here, so Dixie Chicks changing their name, and they're going to keep one of the words. They decide to keep chicks, which the feminists have been saying for decades is offensive. And now they're just the chicks. we got to get rid of Dixie, but not chicks. I just think that's very emblematic of the situation on the modern left. Uh, and, and, of course, meanwhile, you've been the Dixie Chicks for 30 years you're just now deciding that it's offensive after three decades? What changed your mind? What made you realize that it's offensive? What were you told in the last year or few months, really, that you didn't know already that made you decide that it's offensive? Now, it's not offensive. The word Dixie is not at all offensive. But if you think that it is, what new information were you provided that brought you to this conclusion? Or have you thought that it was a racist name all along and you and so you've just been white supremacists for 30 years? Which, which is it, Dixie Chicks? I didn't even know Dixie Chicks still, still, still existed, to be honest. I, I had no idea that they were still out there making music. All right, number five, a report from Fox Carolina. A very sad, disturbing, infuriating story. 
The Forest City Department, police department, said a young girl has died after she was severely injured in a shooting on Tuesday evening. The shooting happened along the intersection of Oak Street and Harmon Street around 5 p.m. Um, the uh, officers arrived, uh, found two individuals pulling a seven-year-old girl from a uh, vehicle, and she was suffering a single gunshot wound to the head. Now, they arrested uh, Shaquille Marchand Francis, 26 years old, charging him with shooting this girl in the head. They haven't been, there's, there's no information about motive or anything. Not that motive matters at all with a crime like this. Um, but here's the thing. Francis, uh, the monstrous scumbag or alleged monstrous scumbag, was released from jail just a few hours before. One of the reports I read said that he was released from jail on different charges, other charges. Uh, I think it was a assault by pointing a gun at someone. He was, one report said three hours earlier he was released and then allegedly immediately went and shot a girl in the head. This goes back to what I've been, the drum I've been banging for weeks now, that if we're going to be doing reforms, um, reforms that protect black lives and all lives, then rather than police reform being the first thing we do, we should be looking at reforms that would prevent murderous sociopaths from walking the streets. Because the current strategy is that criminals, dangerous criminals, get out of jail a million times until they do something so unbelievably heinous that there's no choice but to lock them away for, and even then, a lot of times it's not forever, it's for, you know, but at least for many years. That's the strategy right now. I mean, you have someone who you just, you know, they've committed many crimes, many of them violent. And you, you just, you know that eventually they're going to do something utterly horrible. And, but all we do is just wait for them to do that thing. And to that victim, even if it's a seven-year-old girl, apparently the system is saying, well, you know, too bad, basically, is, is, what, is what the system is saying to these victims. I, I think this should be the reform. You know, if you have someone, if this is the crime that he committed, assault with a deadly weapon before, what is he doing back out on the street? Keep him in jail. This is a dangerous person. Why are you letting him out? That should be our reform. All right, we're going to move on to our daily cancellation. Uh, by the way, if you haven't gotten the Daily Wire reader pass yet, you should definitely do it. If you're not a Daily Wire member and you're looking to read some of our great content, um, go get a Daily Wire reader pass. You can get it for just the first month, just a dollar, actually 99 cents. So you save even an extra penny, which is good. And if uh, you get a reader pass now, I mean, my, my latest article talking about um, the, the, you know, the, the left's message now that it's simply not okay for actors to pretend to be something they're not. And I was talking about the case, Kristen Bell and Jenny Slate, two actresses that decided to stop voicing uh, cartoon characters who were not white. Now, of course, cartoon characters aren't white or black or any cartoon characters don't have a race because they're cartoon characters. But that's what we're being told now. You just even in the, in the context of an animated cartoon, you can't pretend to be something you're not. And uh, so I'm talking about that in that article. You can go read it now. OK, uh, for the daily cancellation, I'm going to be canceling one of the worst songs ever written, a song that has been the bane of my existence, a blight on our society and a scourge on the earth for decades. That's John Lennon's Imagine. 
And I'm canceling it because, for one thing, it's just a terrible song, though it gets credit for being one of the great songs ever written. So that's one reason. Two, I'm canceling it in a preemptive strike. This is a strategic preemptive cancellation because activists are now talking about making it our new national anthem. Not a joke. Well, it is a joke, but not an intentional one. An article in Yahoo titled, Why It Might Be Time to Finally Replace the Star-Spangled Banner with a New National Anthem, makes the case that we have to get rid of the song because apparently you won't believe this, Francis Scott Key, who wrote the song and was born 250 years ago, uh, had some problematic views on race. Crazy. Um, you know, of course, 250 years ago, all people had problematic views on race. But we're going to hold them accountable now for the crime of being born in the wrong century. They, you know, Francis Scott Key and all these other people, they should have made a more virtuous choice in what century they were born in. And that's, that's their fault. We're going to hold them accountable for it. Tear down the statues. Francis Scott Key had a, a statue torn down, and I think it was San Francisco this week. And now they're going to get rid of the song, too. And, yeah, that's that. they deserve it, I guess, because of that. Because you know, they, they should have thought better about what century they were born in. They should have, In utero, they should have said to their mom, Hey, hey, mom, what century is it? Oh, it's, uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, uh, the 18th century. Oh, you know what? I, I, I don't want to be born yet. Let's, let, let's check back in in the you know, 20th, 21st. Um, there are a few suggestions of what to replace it with, but Imagine is a popular one. One activist explains that Imagine is, quote, the most beautiful, unifying, all people, all backgrounds together kind of song you can have. Is it, though? Here are the lyrics. I mean, we all know the lyrics, but just, just when you have just the lyrics, okay? And John, John Lennon is supposed to be a great songwriter, a poet, right? Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. This is... Uh, now, first of all, the idea of destroying all religions and countries isn't very unifying to people who have a religion and love their country. But second, this is just, this is like something a sixth grader would write if he was given an assignment to write some sort of profound, socially conscious song. That's what a sixth grader would come up with. And if I was the teacher, I would give it a, a C minus at best. Imagine there's no greed or hunger. But yeah, but. Well, I'm glad I, I, I listened to, to Imagine because before I did, it never occurred to me that it would be better if there was no greed or hunger. I, I, never, I never thought, I was, I was actually more in the pro-greed and hunger camp. I was very pro-hunger, really. And then I heard John Lennon's song and I thought, you know, he really makes a good point. Maybe it'd be better off without greed and hunger. Wow. Now, I, you know, I could right now come up with additional verses off the top of my head, that would be at least as good as what's in that song. And in fact, I'll do it. And because, you know, if, if this is going to be our new national anthem, it needs to be a little bit longer. That's one problem. It's a, it's, a, it's a little short. So let me suggest, you didn't know that I'm a poet too. I'm a poet. I am as good a poet as John Lennon, and I'll prove it to you. Let me suggest a couple of additional verses for uh, John Lennon. I'm not going to sing them, but I'll spoken word poetry so you can really absorb the impact of these words. 
Imagine only good stuff happening. And really good stuff too. No bad stuff. No sad stuff. And no mad stuff too. Imagine everyone's happy. And they're being real nice. No one's being super mean. And there are no fights. That's that two, two verses right there. Boom, just like that. I just wrote half of a classic all-time great song just right right there on this podcast. You didn't you didn't know you'd be witnessing that. Um and uh, I don't know. You, you, that that's something that's just something from my heart, okay? That's where my heart is right now. But, you know, th- listening to the song, I thought he he covered a lot of stuff that we shouldn't have like greed and hunger. But I'm thinking all the bad stuff, you know, let's not, let's not focus on this bad thing or that, but let's get rid of all the bad stuff. Even more than that, let's start thinking about what if everyone is just happy all the time? Wow. Pretty mind blowing. I know. Um, but even so, uh, John, the, the song imagine is canceled and all efforts to replace the national anthem are also canceled. But I would warn again that all of all of this, we can make jokes about it because sometimes you, you think, what else can we do? Um, especially when the people that we've elected to do things about it are doing nothing. But we should remember that 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 all of this this is serious on the left. This is really what they want to do, and they will do it if nobody prevents it, if nobody steps in in, in the path. All of it's happening. You think replacing the national anthem with with Imagine is some outlandish, crazy idea? It is. But you think that's going to prevent it from actually happening? No. Not at all. And on that bright note, we will leave and uh, end it for the week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy yourselves. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, And our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.